What is up, designers, and welcome to the Grand Design Podcast. Um, it's Dallas Prater talking to you as usual. Um, this is the second episode. Um, following up with you know in series the first episode. Um, if you need a bit of a refresher, if you haven't listened to the first episode, by the way, you should go back and listen to it. But if you need a bit of a refresher, the first episode was kind of all about people with ideas. You know, people with ideas, you might label yourself as an entrepreneur and you might falsely label yourself as a creative, an entrepreneur, uh, an idealist, a visionary, whatever it might be. But uh, the first episode was all about that group of people, people who want, who have ideas in their head, who want to get them out of their head and get them into society and turn them into mass movements that affect actual people instead of being things that they just think. Um, And that episode talked all about You know, how people with ideas, people who are different, who notice, you know, they don't want to follow the status quo, uh, you know, when they go to express their ideas and implement them in society, implement the changes, the walls that they might meet. You know, if you're an, you know, someone who has ideas, you might meet the wall of not having money. You might meet the wall of not having time. You might meet the wall of not having skills or the expertise to, you know, put your skills out into the, put your, put, put everything you need out into the world. You might, uh, run into the problem of not having people back you, you know, personnel. And so those, those are just some of the things that you might face as someone with ideas. And generally the gist of the entire first podcast episode was all about how people with ideas, you know, you are constrained and confined by society as a whole, by society as a mass, the people who don't, you know, the, you know, the group of people who don't really have an intention or core purpose that they want to place into reality before they die. You know, the people who just want to, you know, go to school, get a job, get married, have children and die. You know, they want to force you into that same box. They want to force you into that same bubble as them. And uh, so the first podcast was all about my experience within that journey. Um, so, you know, it, you know, you'll you'll hear it all around you all the time, man. It'll be people, people like, oh, why don't you just go back to school? Why don't you get a regular job and stop doing this stupid thing that you're doing? It doesn't make sense. It, you, it can never work. You know, there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, uh, especially from the people close to us, friends and family, uh, because they misunderstand some of the opportunities that you want to partake in and they can only understand, you know, the conventional status quo based, you know, the, 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 the societally normal opportunities like, Oh, a high paying job. They don't understand business. And you know, the business is a viable option for everybody and not just a select few. These are truths that only, you know, and that, you know, because people don't understand it because they try to crush you into the, you know, they try to crush your square peg into a round hole. You'll face a lot of isolation and pain in your lifetime. Okay. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you know, if you haven't listened to the first episode, I'm not going to go too deep into it. You can go back and listen to that one. Um, but where I left off on that journey was, you know, I on September 5th of 2019 kind of stepped off of my porch for, you know, reasons I mentioned in the first episode into, you know, what I felt at the time was a form of homelessness because I had a place to stay, a house. But uh, I didn't have a home. And, I, you know, the house that I was staying at, you know, it wasn't my house. It wasn't, you know, a comfortable situation for me. And it wasn't an ideal situation with me, which, by, by the way, shout out to, you know, the people that held me down. I, I completely appreciate the opportunity to stay there that I was given. OK, but going into this podcast, I want you to understand, man, I'm going to break down everything in story format because, um, like I said, the you know, this is one thing I've learned. You know, when I go as a ghostwriter, you know, because that's what I do. Um what I do is I listen to people who are like you and I, you know, regardless of what they label themselves, people with ideas, I listen to their stories, right? 
and I write down their stories for them. And generally what I find, you know, every single person that is alike to me, that is alike to you, that is in this little culture that we know uh, of designers, all of these people have, you know, near identical paths. When I listen to, you know, a business owner and write their, write their story for them, it's usually like I'm listening to, you know, my journey told back to me. That's the most fascinating part of it. And so I tell my story because a lot of you probably will identify in you know a place within my journey that you are currently now. And you can use the the uh, the routes that I t- took to get from where you are to get to where I am, uh, which is not anywhere special, by the way. Uh, but it, it serves as a, you can you can reverse engineer my story to route your own story and your own successes. Uh, that's all I'm saying. But um. Yeah, so I'm, I'm telling it all in story format. And where I left off was, you know, September 5th. I left my house with the mission and the goal of going to Los Angeles. But I want to break down kind of the emotions behind that led up to that decision of leaving. Okay. And so if you're somebody who has ideas in your head, generally, like I said, you'll find a lot of pain, hurt, and isolation in your life. You'll feel alone. You'll feel like nobody can relate to you. No one has the same ideas as you. You know, no one be able to you know, like you won't be able to express. You'll feel confined in a box, and you'll feel like every like almost like it's a witch hunt. Which, to be honest, it kind of is. The media at large, you know, kind of indoctrinates society to live in this regular, you know, this default lifestyle that they're with no passion, with no love for what they do, with no ambition, and uh, that in essence creates a wave of people who, when they see you doing something different, it causes a dissonance in them. And uh, so that that was a little bit of what I experienced, you know, um, when I started to tell my ideas to the people around me, there was a circumstance of dissonance caused that caused harm, to, like vicious, malicious harm to be directed towards me. And I break it down like this. I, I don't know if I said this in other podcasts or not, but it's like, you know, you have your identity inside that you know who you are. You, you, you have your, your own identity and you know that to a T. But living in the minds of other people are perceptions of you, you know, that you tend to and keep alive every day. And when when your true identity is being tested against that false identity that's in in their head, um, it results in a hard lifestyle. It results in a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of bad emotions. You'll feel them. And here's an example to kind of clarify what I mean by that. So let's say in your girlfriend's head, you know, I've never cheated and I never will. And so this is not something that I can necessarily relate to, but it's just an example. Um, Let's say in your girlfriend's head, she has a version of you that's faithful. You're a good guy. And in your mind, you know, you've been cheating this entire time. You know, you've not been faithful. You know, you've not been a good guy. When she comes close to discovering the real you and the version of you that she has in her head is becoming compromised. You'll feel stressed about the situation like, oh, she's about to find out. Okay, but likewise, when you know, um, likewise, you know, you'll become stressed out when the real you is, is becoming compromised. When you bring the real you to other people, they experience a similar situation. You see what I'm saying? And so when I came, when I was living in my house, if you don't know about this story, uh, go to the first podcast. Once again, when I was living in my house and living around friends and family members that had a version of me in their head that was going to go to school and get a job and they wanted me to get a high paying job. And I started bringing to the forefront these thoughts and ideas that I had. It was almost like I was compromising and in a sense, killing the person, the version of me that they had in their own heads. Okay, and that for me caused a lot of negative emotions to come my way. You understand what I mean? A lot of negative emotions to come my way. So there there are two ways it can go. 
They have a version of you in their head and they're using that to kill your own personal identity. Oh, get a job, da-da-da-da-da. And you feel bad about that. Or you have the truth in your mind of who you are and using it to kill the false identity that they hold and that causes stress in them. And so when I started telling people who I really was and how I really felt about the world, all these dreams and ideas and visions that I had, uh, the hate that came towards me, the maliciousness that came towards me in my personal opinion at the time felt like the hate that would, you know, it felt like the hate that they reserved for somebody who killed the actual me because I killed a version of me that they had. And this stranger who no one knew was responsible for the death of who they loved already, who they thought I was. I'm sorry if I'm a little confusing, if that doesn't make any sense. And so living, uh, you know, living in the environment that I was living in with friends, with family and all these intimate bonds and relationships, when I started to be myself, it kind of felt like, as I said, like I killed that identity and I, I you know, I was receiving the rewards of that action. It was a hard, hard time. I felt alone, you know, I felt in the dark, you know, and I felt like I was just needing of love, purely needing of love and needing of identity, you know, uh, I was lost, you know, and a lot of us find ourselves in that place, lostness, you know, uh, you don't really identify with any of your flaws and you're floating around and you're trying to find yourself and you're in this broken state, you know, you're in a broken state where you feel like why am I like this? You know, why, where's my, where, you know, where are my people? Why can no one relate to me? Why does no one else feel like this? Why, what is, what is wrong with me? You know what I mean? You feel like what is wrong with me? Why do I have to be cursed with this vision that I have that I obsess over? This identity as someone who is different, which is not an identity at all because I don't have a culture of people to mesh into. But what begins to happen, and this is what happened to me, you know, sitting at my house, um, you know, leading up, you know, into, you know, always since like the, the onset of 2018 and beginning of 2018, I had began to find my identity in the, the, the people that were on the internet. Okay. And so at the very beginning of it all, my identity was based solely in music. Okay. I wanted to make music as I said in the first episode. And so I related to the artists that I listened to. These were my people. These were people like me. Okay, these were people that had dreams, that had visions, that wanted to do big things. They didn't want to live a regular life. They were, they were, they were, they were travelers and adventurers and and creatives and idea. You know, they had ideas that were actually, you know, impactful to the world. They had meaning and purpose, and you know, I felt a comfort in that. You know, but things for you know, uh, starting in 2018 for me had began to change because it was like, okay, I want to make music, but. In making music, you run into a wall because you need money to promote your music and music on its own. Art on its own is not a very profitable thing. You know, I wanted to promote my music. I wanted to, you know, and I didn't have the personnel to mix and master and create beats. I didn't have the money to make that happen. It was, you know, I didn't have the time to make that happen. And so naturally in 2018, in order to film, fuel my music endeavors, I decided to start getting into and learning business. The first thing I did was read Influenced by Robert Cialdini. It was all about, you know, uh, the cognitive biases, social proof, uh, contrast bias, um, things like that. OK, next thing I did was read Small Business for Dummies. And uh, I literally read through the whole boring textbook. OK, um, I read a lot of books during that time. But then I started progressing into on the, on the Internet. The first person I bumped into was like Ty Lopez. Oh, this guy is great. OK, I, I like this guy. You know, he's, he's pretty cool. And, um, you know, this is where we begin and this is a little bit about what this episode is about, to form false labels for ourselves. I thought I was an entrepreneur. 
uh, or creative. You might say you're creative. You might be a visionary idealist. And it's funny because these labels, being that they are the false labels, actually serve to hold us back at the end of the day. That's what a lot of people don't realize because of the things that are associated with these labels. You know, like hard work. Hard work has nothing to do with success. It's interesting enough, but as an entrepreneur, you might believe, depending on who you follow, hustle, hustle, hustle is the way. And so to get back to my story, I started to find an identity. I started to find a culture just like you might have. You know, I started listening to Ty Lopez and then I, I started shifting. I went to people like Russell Brunson. I started to get a little more advanced, a little more tricky with it. You know, and I started listening to people like Frank Kern, people like Grant Cardone, you know, the big Internet guru business people that we all know and love. And I started to feel comfort and identity and, and a belonging in this tribe of people who were just like me. You know, I bought all their products. I, and I started listening to Russell Brunson and listening to Frank Kern and start trying to build online business over and over and over and over again. And in that process, you know, obviously between 2018 and 2019, where I finally had left my home, September 5th, 2019, uh, I had a lot of failures because that's part of the pattern that is associated with uh, running a business. You'll fail for the first two years. That's part of the pattern. Every entrepreneur, if you listen to their stories, they've went through that. And so I've lost, uh, by the time I left my house, about four thousand dollars five thousand dollars on facebook ads without getting really a single sale okay and so that was the position i was at you know when i when i had left my home but uh dismissing that idea altogether you know i felt in a culture and i felt strong i felt like i had an identity but things had began to change because when i forget felt my culture it started to become a shift in identity it started to become this is us this is who we are and in the clash of this is, I mean, in, in, in the, you know, the, in the genesis of, oh, this is who we are. And you might relate to this. It becomes of who are they? And in that instance, I began to find an identity in this crowd and identify an enemy to this crowd. People who, who are who are regular, people who are normal, people who want to live the status quo, the people who have been trying to crush me all my life. And in that, that became a narcissism like, oh, this is us. And we know the truth. We know better. You know what I'm saying? We are the truth. And these people, they don't know anything. You know, they're just regular commoners. That, that began to become the sentiment. And so I had this, 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 this sentiment of difference, you know, uh, you know, between me, myself and my family, my brothers that were around me, my family. And it was easy to let that grow because, like I said, I felt disconnected from them like we hadn't talked a lot through my, my entire life, you know. Um, it, it, so it was easy for that to grow. And I felt. A, a, like a, a, a low level superiority to everybody around me in a distancing from them. Like they were the enemy. And you know this, you know, it's so easy to fall into that pattern once again, because like I said, all your life, people that live the status quo, society tries to crush people with our minds. They try to bend them and mold them and break them into things that can fit in these square holes or these, these circular holes. When you're a square peg, you're not meant to fit in there. You know, People who don't care about the status quo, people who want to live an extraordinary, unique life, have a unique identity and cause mass movements around these things that they believe. People who have conviction and dreams and desires, you know, that's what it's all about. You're, you have to be you, but the, no one wants you to be you. OK, but, you know, the problem is that when it becomes when you find your culture, a lot of times it becomes us versus them. It's like if when you label yourself a democrat or you label yourself a republican suddenly you find yourself on facebook feuding with democrats or feuding with republicans when you label yourself a conservative you start feuding against you know uh conservative uh, liberals you know it kind of just happens in a natural way 
You understand what I mean? And so, uh, you know, in, in that identity, in that identity, uh, so coming up to September 5th, when I finally had began to left my house, it was a lot of, it were, there was a lot of arguments in my household. There were a lot of discussions going back and forth. And a lot of the discussions had been based around the idea of me just going back to school. You know, I remember if I said I left because, it, you know, I had an ultimatum put on the table in front of me. It was either you go to school or you're going to start paying rent in this household. And I had quit my job at the time and the last bit of money was going towards business. And so essentially, I, you know, in my mind, I had no choice but to leave. And so um, everything in my mind, September 5th, you know, I remember the day vividly I stepped in the house and my mother just started yelling at me because I didn't have rent money that I already had decided I wasn't going to pay. But, um, which by the way, I don't want anybody to take this story to mean I'm mad at my mother. I love my mother. We, we, you know, everything's reconciled at this point, you know, obviously, but, and, uh, I understand them better. Don't, don't get me wrong. I understand where you were coming from. I understand everything y'all went through to try to get me right. But, you know, continue along with the story. Everything in my mind at that point had aligned with the idea of us versus them. And that my difference, the difference that I felt you know, that they were trying to stamp out was actually a superpower. I felt like I knew better than the rest of society and we just weren't compatible. And so my, I set out on a journey to prove that my difference would be my success. You ever feel like that? Like the things that you hate about me, I'm going to put that as the forefront of my mentality. I'm going to put that as the forefront of my being and it's going to make me rich and famous one day. I felt like that was going to be the thing that got me to the success and the love that I want. Because remember, I wanted love from the people, man. I wanted love. I wanted, I wanted to feel accepted. You know, if this, if this wasn't my culture of people in my own household, I wanted a culture of people in the world who loved me and accepted me and vibed with me and I could change their lives with the products that I was putting forward, with the music that I was putting forward. I wanted to move people. I wanted to move a generation. And so, you know, the things that people vilified about me, I was like, fine, I'll make someone love me for it. I'll make some success. I'll get to a million dollars with this dream. I mean, with this identity, with this difference that you hate so much, you know, so everything became a mission to prove my parents wrong. And in fact, it started along before that, you know, remember I said I started building businesses first in 2018. I went through several different businesses and failed. But by the time 2019 came around, I had settled on, you know, being a ghostwriter. OK, I settled on being a ghostwriter, which, by the way. One of my worst qualities in how you know you're, you know, one of the minds that I'm talking about is you don't really understand the idea of <laughs> of failure. OK, so I was listening to a podcast by Russell Brunson. He was a keynote speaker at an event and he was saying um, everybody. And this is something I actually didn't know. So this year he said everybody in the world is motivated by two forces, uh, the fear of failure. Uh, you want to get away from failure and you want to get to being rewarded. But uh not everybody feels those things evenly. Like some people fear, you know, have a greater fear of punishment than a greater desire for reward. You know, one feeling, one, one idea usually motivates an individual more than the other is what I'm saying. In general society, um, they're generally more motivated by loss than by gain. They're generally more motivated by the idea that they might be punished than by the idea that they might gain something. And what he said after that is something that changed my world. He said, whenever I'm in this room like this, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, everybody raise your hand up if you're motivated by mostly by the reward that you can get. And he said, everybody raise their hand. And, you know, when he's in an entrepreneurial room, you know, if that's what you want to label yourself, you know, 
Most entrepreneurs are motivated more by reward than anything. You're literally like a different thing. You're a different creature than you're wired differently. And that was another, by the way, which I realized is one of my favorite flaw, fatal flaws. I don't really see loss. I don't really see punishment. And so that's gotten me into trouble time and time and time and time and time again. Because I always overestimate what I can do. And uh, I end up failing because I literally don't see the possibility of failure. I don't see the danger in most situations. When I left my job in 2016, December 1st, 2016, it's because I thought I was going to blow up overnight and be some famous rapper. When I dropped out of college and quit my job, it's because I, I thought I'd have a million dollars in my business by the next day. And this idea that, okay, I can't fail and that I'm going to go forward uh, is something that got me in trouble time and time and time again. It frustrated my parents a lot. It frustrated my girlfriend a lot because like I said, me and her going way back. Um, I always promised her, man, like we're going to be millionaires. We're going to have it all. We're going to have the life. I wanted that for her. That was one of the things that were motivating me more than anything. Also, I wanted to bring her a life of, of the, worth living, something extraordinary, something that she could never even like fathom. That was one of the things that mo- kept me up at night. Like literally, like it is still one of the things that keeps me up at night because like, I don't know, that's just what, what, you know, it felt like my job. It felt like what I was supposed to do. That's what love is. You understand what I mean? And so back to the September 5th situation, um, you know, I'm leaving. I left my house on September 5th in the night because I felt like, OK, this business that I have is going to blow up inevitably and in- inevitably at this point in time, I had been ghostwriting for about nine months and I had earned about $1,500 in 64, $1,564 or something like that, which sucks. It's like $200 a month, not even consistently. I was getting like 30 customers, $1,500. I was making like literally no money at all. That's less than like, like I said, $200 a month. I wasn't making anything. And that wasn't even consistently. Um, it might've been longer than that. It might've been actually like 11 months or something like that. So I was making like $100 a month or something like that. But I had this idea of when I left my house, like you might feel this way. Like you might feel a lot of conviction. You know, don't you, have you ever felt this way? You know, like uh, you feel like this idea has to work for sure fire, you know, and you just go with it every single time. You know, another thing, another pattern I recognize about people who have these minds is that you usually succeed a lot in sports because you have a lot of, you know, you're just, you know, you're just different, you know? But uh, long story short, you know, I wanted to make this business work. I wanted to make this business reach a million dollars pretty much the same day that I would drop the product. Uh, And so uh, I left my house really without thinking about it, without thinking about the repercussion with the idea that I'm going to prove my parents wrong. And this difference that that people don't like about me is the superpower It's going to lead the way. And so I'm operating in this business and take note, uh, being a ghostwriter, uh, it's it's not the simplest thing in the world. Um, You have to do a lot of parts to the business. And this is something that a lot of people fall into um you gotta when you first start a business it's like you have to do everything especially if you think you're the song sovereign power you know you're the sovereign mind with this ability that you have and no one else has this ability it becomes hard to collaborate and trust with people so i was you know i had to find my own customers and uh at first i was using fiverr for that but you know i quit using fiverr after a while because they banned me but you know i had to you know find my own customers and then i had to you know, sell them over the phone as a salesman. And then after that, I would have to actually interview them for weeks at a time and write down their story in a format that actually sold their customers. And then I would have to write their book. And mind you, the process of getting customers in the door can't stop while I'm fulfilling, you know, the actual product for the customer while I'm interviewing and actually writing. And then I would have to build a funnel for them to sell their products. I had to do so many different pieces, but I was determined to do it because I felt 
you know, like this is my superpower and no one else understands. So I'm just, I'm the man, I'm the superstar of this operation and I have to do it all on my own because, because I'm the one. Okay. And that was kind of the mindset behind it all. You notice when you find a culture and I want, I want you to write this down. When you find your own culture, when it becomes us versus them, you're in a competitive frame of mind. It's us versus them. There's no community. There's no unity. It's a competitive state of mind. When you label yourself as whatever you want to label yourself, there's a competitive state of mind. It's saying, this is them and this is me. This is, you know, you are you and I'm me. We're different. And we're sometimes enemies. But we're different. And you think that the difference that you bring is better, which leads a lot of times to us handling all the things that we have to handle in our business. Which, as you'll hear in the story, fast forward a little bit, is a recipe for disaster. And so I left the house, you know, really with homelessness on my mind. Uh, but my girlfriend would not have that, not at all. And so, long story short, I ended up living with her and her mother um, that September. Which, you know, if you really focus on uh, that element of the story, like, I'm sitting here for years and years and years and she's believing in me. And I'm saying I'm going to bring her the world. And um, it's... You know, I'm a, you know, I'm taking it from her. I'm leeching it from her. The experience of the world that I'm I'm taking it. I'm I'm a burden because, you know, they're feeding me. They're supplying me with food. You know, they bought clothes for me on occasion, you know, because I'm failing at my business never. I'm failing with the promises that I said I would deliver to her. Um, This was a period of my life, you know, that was and, and when you get to that place and you you feel that emasculated. You know, like you're a baby and they have to take care of you because you can't provide for yourself. You can't provide for her or anything like that. You know, a lot of a lot of negative discussions, a lot of headbutting, a lot of arguments are going to span from this situation right here because you're projecting that energy like you're emasculated. I felt so much guilt. I felt I could almost drown in my guilt. I felt when I woke up every day, I felt like, wow, like the day is here and. I have to wake up and experience this all over again. I have to wake up and be, be, be less, you know, I felt like I lost control of everything, you know, and and I just, I felt without value. I felt worthless, you know, at that point I severed communication with my family and the person I was supposed to bring the world to here. I am living off them. I, you know, I, I have my license, but I have car insurance. I can't drive her around. She's driving everywhere. She has a job that she goes to every single day. And I'm just taken from that. I'm holding her back now. I'm a burden and a weight now. And so um, this was a little bit uh, of, of the schedule that I would embody. You know, um, have you experienced anything like this, by the way? Reach out to me. Let's talk about it. I mean, call, you know, comment on the Facebook, comment on like rate the podcast and comment, you know, about your own story below. I would love to hear it, man. I really would love to hear it because I know you've probably experienced some of the similar rejection is a part of our life. Misunderstanding is part of our life. It's part of our pattern. And everything in the world is a pattern. So you're going to have to go through it one way or another. It's funny because these these moments, you know, that you go through, these challenges that you go through, it's necessary because you have to refine. It's a refining period. You have to fail and fail and fail and fail so you can become refined enough through the failures and through the trials to the point where you're actually deserving of the things that you earn. I really believe that. This period that you go through is necessary no matter how much it hurts. And I believe 100% this is probably the worst pain I felt in my life. You know, the argument sometimes was so intense. Like I remember running out in the middle of the night one day, freezing cold. This was probably October or something like that. And I literally sat on a bus stop. It was probably like 30 degrees or something like that. I had like a hoodie on 
and until sunrise. And I, when sunrise came, I ran across the street into the Lowe's just to be warm. And I sat in the bathroom stall so they didn't think I was loitering the store just to be warm. And then I looked at my phone, which had 5% battery left. I had my charger with me. And then I ran across the street to the CCBC um, across the street. I had literally no money at this point in time. Uh, and living in my girlfriend's house, I didn't have a job or anything like that, and I wasn't really getting a lot of sales from writing. So I ran across to the CCBC, it was the community college around my corner, and then I literally sat there for the rest of the day. Uh, well, really, until it, the sun came up a little bit more, uh, I sat there and fell asleep in one of the chairs in the lobby, just because it was the only warm place and the only place I could sleep at the time. Because I just felt like I don't know, you know, the feeling of being emasculated. Uh, through through my own means really through my own you know judging of myself and my own personal standard and feeling so contradictory and hypocritical with my promises it caused a lot of just a lot of strife you understand um but uh where where was i going besides that story but yeah oh so basically my pattern or, or, or how i lived was like this you know um I thought when I left my house, you know, and I would escape with opinions of others and really be able to join my group, join my culture and focus on what I doing what I had to do. But, you know, uh, not everybody takes so lightly to you not having a job. And so essentially when I was living there, I was lying about having a job and uh, I didn't. And what I would do is we would go uh, when she went to work on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays. What I would do is I would um, I would dress for work, pretend I was dressing for work. And then I would get in the car with her to go to work and she would go to her job. And I would just, you know, because I had this vision, I had this dream. I always thought I was going to break through with this business. And I kept believing that I kept focusing on it and without the pressure on of everybody on me. And I could focus on my own voice in my own head. It was a little bit easier, but I would sit in the car and I would pop over my laptop and I would type on the laptop and just try to get as much done as possible in that period of time. Um, right next to the mall parking garage where her car would be parked. It was something called the cancer survivor park was, which was like, it's hard to explain. It's like a little, it's not a park. It's like a, you know, uh, you would have to see, it, I guess it's like a stone monument walkway type thing, uh, with like grass around it. And, uh, the homeless people lived up there and, uh, I would go up there when it was hot, when it was still around September-ish, early October in the summer nights. And I would literally just pop on my laptop, pop on my phone and just work, 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 work. Just trying to get clients, trying to get clients, trying to work, just trying to figure it out one way or another. Um, and, uh, I would go over there because, you know, I felt kin to the homeless at this point you know uh I, I felt like you know i felt like invisible you know a lot of homeless people i bet they feel this they feel invisible walking down the streets man i realized no one would talk to them as i would stop and i would talk to them because no one would talk to them and you know i felt just like them like you know like we are we can you know what i mean and we to this day you know what i'm saying not to be deontay water but to this day i feel kin i feel close to these people you know, because I was, you know, in, in, in a way to my, into my then consciousness, I was homeless. You know, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a place where people loved me, where I belonged. I didn't have a culture and I was fighting at this time in essence to find this place, to find this culture, to find this identity. Uh, and so, yeah, I would go to the parking garage, you know, and I would just kind of sit in there and I would just work every day. And when it got cold, because it did get cold, um, then I would just sit in her car and it was crazy, a crazy experience because you weren't allowed to sit out in a car and not do anything when the mall was um, uh, open. So security guards would drive by and I'd be open doing the laptop, doing my work on the laptop. And I would just have to lean over so they wouldn't see my, you know, see me in the car. And I closed the laptop real quick. And uh, it was a, it was a cat and mouse game. It was ridiculous. I never got caught. But um, it started getting cold. And you know, I put videos on Instagram just to kind of reach out and see what the see what the people were talking about. And tell him about the situation. I said, I never have a job again. 
all, all sorts of things. I started making crazy videos, um, just to try to get anything to get buzzed. Okay, but uh, long story short, you know, then uh, coming up on October, the beginning of November, mind you, I hadn't spoken to my parents for months at this point, or two months really, because of the situation that had arisen. And uh, I was really just feeling like uh, floating along in life. I was feeling like flotsam, working as hard as I can. And just trying to fight the feeling of sinking, trying to fight the feeling of defeated, trying to fight being broken, trying to fight the anxiety that, you know, that everything that was going on with me. And then uh, because of the robbery situation that happened in August, you know, it kind of circled around. And because we watched everybody on the film crew work and work and work, my girlfriend, she wanted to live her real life. And so we had a discussion and we both decided like, OK, let's because she wanted to go to acting school in Los Angeles. She was like, OK, we're, let's move to Los Angeles. Let's move to Los Angeles. Let's do it. You know, we don't have anything to lose. We don't have anything here. Let's just go to, go to Los Angeles. I want to. I want to become an actor. I want to live my dreams too. And so we talked about it. It was a lot of fear surrounding the situation. It was a lot of. It was a lot of lot of tough nights talking about it. Talking about leaving everything, leaving home behind. Particularly for her, it was a very very hard thing to do. You know, it was. A, she felt an immense grief and guilt about the situation that she was leaving behind. Um, I don't know. I don't even want to talk too much about how she felt about it because I, I have to get permission to do that, obviously. But it, it was a tough situation, man. It was a tough situation. But, you know, we eventually decided that we were going to leave. Just 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 go. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I had spent, you know, time at home feeling like out of place and then I moved to this new house and, you know, uh, her house. And I, I, I still felt out of place. Like I, I needed my culture. I needed my people. And so many voices were going on in my head even still. And I just needed to get away. I need to find clarity and focus on me. You know, I, the us versus them situation. I had to get away from the them so that I could hear myself and focus on my superpower. And so that's what we decided to do. But the pre issue is, you know, the trip itself, obviously going to L.A. and living in L.A. cost thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars it cost thousands of dollars man you know money that we didn't have but you know i mean she 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 was so, so on you know, she was on the edge she was balanced about going i didn't have anything i didn't have anything to my name and so we set the plan like okay december 1st is when her school would start and we would go to her school from december 1st to december 20 to december 22nd and then we would come from the holiday break and reconsider going whether she would go for the second semester or not because we just didn't have the money to sustain uh even the school itself cost two thousand dollars so it was like it, it, it was a huge conversation and i you know something happened where we, I, we're across the point in time where we decided where we were going to go but you know obviously we had to talk about you know the money issue and you know here's the thing i didn't have any money but i wanted it bad for her i wanted her to experience her dreams which people please this is not how you do it this is not how you do it. I wanted, you know, I was wrong in the thing that I did, but I told her that, you know, I believe, you know, here, here's that conversation again. I don't see punishment. I only see reward. I only thought, I, you know, this was true in my head at the time. And I really thought it would happen. And so I told her I would have, because this is my half of the journey and she had her half. I had, I said I would have a thousand dollars by the time we left on in November what is it, November 25th or 26th or something like that because we had to be there on December 1st and it was already November and I said oh, I would have my half to go on this journey of a thousand dollars by the time we left 
because I just wanted to say anything to encourage her to chase her dreams because I thought she deserved it because she does more than anything in the world. I'm just like, all right, let's go. Let's just do this. You know, uh, I'm going to have it after whatever you need. I've been failing you. I've been holding you back. I've been dragging you down for so long. I want I, I want what's right for you and I'm going to fight for what's right for you. You know, but the words I use, you know, I reassured her for something that wasn't sure. And you don't want to you want people to know exactly what they're bargaining for. I want to I want to make that clear. But, you know, off to the races, man, I've been focusing and opening that laptop every time she went to work from dawn to dusk, dawn to dusk every single day. And I had I had I had a, I had a thought that I could do it. OK, I had a feeling. So I started working. I started hustling like crazy, hustling, 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 hustling. Let's make it work. Let's do it, man. People with ideas, man. Don't y'all 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 know what I mean, man. Y'all know what I mean. Y'all know that feeling when you want to risk it all for somebody. When when y'all know that feeling when you have conviction and you don't know where it's going to come from, but you know it has to happen. That's one of the interest, most interesting things about being, you know, when you start on this journey, there were things that will happen, you know, serendipitously that you cannot explain other than the fact that they're miracles. It seems like they just came out of thin air. You know, my father was explaining to me a situation where, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to talk about that. He told that to me personally. I, I got to get his permission for that. But it was a great story. I hope to talk about it soon. And maybe I'll have him on the podcast. But things will happen seemingly out of thin air. It's happened to me countless times. And I had a lot of faith in my intuition. Intuition is one of my most powerful weapons. And I just thought, man, let's do it for her. So I started grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. Days pass. Weeks pass. We're in the middle of November. Okay. And it's closing towards the time that we have to go. And then one day. We were, I mean, her, we were one morning, we're sitting on the bed, we were talking back and forth, having a little conversation, having a good time. Uh, and I remember, because, you know, I, I remember someone booked a call with me to talk about, you know, a book. And so uh, I picked up the call and we were sitting on the bed that morning. It had to be 11 a.m. in the morning. I believe that's when I sat the time. Uh, this was 11 a.m. Eastern time. So it was, uh, this lady lives in Colorado. So it must have been 9 a.m. her time. And she said, you know, the call, I, like really out of nowhere, honestly, because she came through Fiverr, interestingly enough, and booked a call with me, which is the only time this has ever happened in my life. It's never happened again after this. And we had begin chatting on the phone, chatting back and forth. So, so, so uh, the person booked the call with me. 11 a.m. came that morning. I set alarm. I woke up. We we're sitting on the bed talking. And, uh, you know, then my heart's pounding because this might be my only chance to get the half of the rent that I needed um, because we had an Airbnb lined up. And the trip over there would cost a couple hundred dollars as well. And so I picked up the phone, okay? And this lady picks up the phone. She says, hello, what's up? And uh, we get to chat, and long story short, we get to chatting back and forth about me possibly writing a book for it. I never had pitched somebody for this amount of money, but the conversation's coming to a close. And I'm like, okay, um, I asked her the question, would you like to proceed with this service, ma'am? And she says, yeah, sure. And I said, okay, that'll be $1,000. Is that all right? And there were about five seconds of pause on the phone. We was all holding our breath. My girlfriend was right next to me. And she said, yeah, that's all right. And literally my heart just soared. I had never, my first sale beyond that before that was about $200. It was about $200. I never made money anything close to that. And so like, you can imagine like the smile on her face. It felt like I had done something and revived a feeling that had been dead for a long time, to be honest with you. Like it was unlike anything. And it made me so happy. And I remember after that moment, just craving that feeling so much. But I hung up the phone, right? And we did our little celebration. And then the day passed and no payment went through. And another day passed and no payment went through. 
mind you, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the deadline uh, that we're leaving, like November 24th, I believe it was. So a week passes by, it's getting close to like November 15th or something like that. But here's the thing, before I hung up that phone, I set up a time for her to begin interviewing her to write the book for her. Um, and um, so coming up on that new time, you know, I picked up the phone for the next interview time. I thought she would ignore me. It goes to my car, picked up the phone, we get began to talking. We, I began to interview and conduct it as normal. I didn't even mention the payment. But then coming to the end of that phone call, she said, oh, yeah, and by the way, I'm going to fill out that payment thing right now. Can you send me a new link? I sent her a new link. And that there on the spot, she purchased. Now, it was a payment plan. But she purchased the entire four-figure deal. It was the first time I made $1,000 doing anything that wasn't, doing anything, period. It was the first time I ever made $1,000. And we were saved. In my mind, we were saved. But here's the thing. It was on a payment plan. So it'd be $250 per month. That's what I charged back then. $250 per month. Okay, but still, I, I was elated, man. I thought I had made it. Obviously, this is a process that I can replicate no matter if it's $250 a month. So I have to get four clients on $250 a month. Okay. Um, we celebrated, man. We, we, man, the happiness, the joy of that day. It felt like a sense, like the greatest sense of relief, like the pressure had been building, 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 building. And then it just vanished. It just went away. And the calm and the relaxation that came over me was second to none. It felt like I wasn't a failure anymore. I wasn't less of a man anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't valueless. I wasn't worthless anymore. I could do something that other people couldn't do. It felt like for the first time I had proved my parents wrong and I was right. The us was winning. We were winning. We were right all along. So November 24th comes around and I haven't made any more sales, but we get, we begin to ride it on our journey. We left from Maryland, November 24th. It was like the middle of the day, like 3 p.m. or something like that. Said goodbye to her mother, her grandmother, and we had set off. Going across the country. Um, here's the thing. When, it, when I came to approaching, I made that $1,000 and it was $250 a month. But mind you this, I had to interview her every so often in interviews. Uh, I had to actually do the writing of the book. I had to find new clients. Uh, I had to do all. I had to wear all the hats. And I was wearing all the hats because I had formed the us versus them type of thing going on. And if I was going to hire somebody or outsource to somebody, you know, that would be the them. I believed in myself. You know, I believed in my difference as a superpower from the rest of the society. I didn't feel like anybody was like me. And I relied a lot on that. And because of that, I just felt like I had to be the superstar of my operation. I was competitive in a competitive mindset. Like, I'm going to do better than the next man. I'm going to do better than the other people in the world. It's going to be me. And I'm going to show everybody through my own strength, through my own hustle, through my own power, what I can do. Because everybody doubted me. Everybody slept on me. Everybody, you know, people forgot about me. You know what I'm saying? People went to school and I watched them on social media graduate and throwing their caps up. They're going to go off to be somebody and they forgot about me. And this is my chance to show them that I can be somebody. And I want all the credit and the glory to be mine. I can do it on my own. You know, if I do it on my own, all the love going to be mine too. All the hype, all the fame is going to be mine when I build this business from the ground up. It's going to be off my blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of pride behind it. That's one of my best traits. A lot of pride. You know, it was one of my best traits. A lot of pride, a lot of narcissism, a lot of arrogance. Like, yeah, I, I'm going to say it with my chest, I did this. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, man, tell me if you feel this way. Do you feel this way? Like, do a lot of you feel like 
that pride around who you are because no one agrees and no one loves you for who you are. Do you feel that? You got to learn to love it, man. But here's the problem. So I'm working with this person. And while I'm working with this person, uh, I'm unable to find clients on my own. I'm unable to do it. And so I've always performed all the jobs and every of my, you know, all the tasks that were to be done in all my business endeavors. You know, let's say in my first business, the Beat Buddy system, I learned how to run ads for that, which the Beat Buddy system was a system where I'd make beats for, you know, rappers and send them out every weekend. I made the beats for that mission, uh, I mean, for that business, and I would send them out every weekend. Uh, I wrote the email scripts for that business. Uh, I would make the ads for that business. I would make the videos for that business. I made the content for that business. I literally made everything. You know, uh, the course was, I tried to sell a course after that. Um, I made the, you know, made all the contents of the course. I ran the ads for the course. I designed the, the logos and everything for the course. You know, the websites, the funnels, I did everything. You know, I've always historically done everything because I felt like, okay, I'm the superstar of my business. No one liked me, but now it's all about me and I'm going to show them what I can do. I was competing. I wanted to be better than other people. I wanted to be the best that ever did everything. You know, I wanted to be the best. And that was something that's, that's, and take note of that. You might feel it also, but take note of that. It's very important to take note. That was a motif throughout every business that I ever done. Every opportunity that I ever partaked in. And that was what I had in my mind of how I would get past the wall. You don't have money. You don't have anybody backing you. You don't have time. You know, I still didn't have money. I still didn't have people backing me. You know, I still didn't have a lot of things. But I just thought, man, I'm going to spend all my time to make up for all those things. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to do everything on my own because I'm brilliant and I can do it. That's how I'm going to beat this wall. That's how I'm going to beat it. And I failed for two years and lost $5,000 using that mentality. You see what I mean? I thought hustle, 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 hustle. It's interesting enough. We're going to talk about this a little later. But hustle has nothing to do with success. It has nothing to do with success. And I was hustling my tail off every single day. Just me. Soul operation. Soul dream. See, you know, like the quote, the quote says, sometimes you got to fight for a dream that no one else but you can see. And that's what I believe. And so here I am, $250 a month. A month. We set off. Um, the first leg of the trip, obviously, we were leaving Maryland in November. It was pretty chilly. Um, the first place that we stopped was, I believe, um, I got, I had $250 in my bank account at the time was, uh, the first place we stopped was in Tennessee and the first night in Tennessee it was beautiful, man. Uh, it looked like kind of, kind of like what Virginia looks like beautiful place, but yeah, that's the first place we stopped. And, uh, in Tennessee when we, it was so hard going to sleep cause it was so freaking cold. <laughs> it was, it was very, very chilly. Uh, I had one of those little full body snuggies on in a blanket. She had the same thing in her seat. We were sleeping in the car because we couldn't afford hotels. Um, and we were just all bundled up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like when we woke up in the morning, it was frost all over the windows, frost on the lawns. Um, it was an insane, it was insanely cold, man. The people at the rest stops were bundled up in jackets. Like we've slept in full attire, Double socks, you know, I, don't, I didn't have double socks. I had single socks, but shoes on, everything. Uh, and Tennessee was beautiful. Uh, it was, you know, people had funny accents and things like that because they're from the South. Uh, the trees were changing colors in the middle of fall. It was beautiful scenery, man. Uh, you just got to take my word on that. Then we left Tennessee. We went through Nashville. 
and I believe the la- the next place we stopped was uh, Texas. Texas was a little warmer, and Texas had like a rest stop that was kind of like a grass area, and it felt like when we stopped at Texas, you know, the climate was different. The climate was like the middle of summer there, like uh, but a summer night, kind of chilly but kind of hot. It was good. We slept pretty comfortable that night. You know, we could walk in our pajamas without any discomfort to the rest stop area and use the bathroom and get snacks or whatever we have to do. It was a beautiful experience. Driving through Texas in the daytime, though, man, it was a straight dust bowl. Like, it was so dusty, you couldn't even see the sun. And we only had, we only saw a town, like, once every 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 miles. Like, it was crazy. We were so hungry, looking for gas and food, man. We barely made it through Texas. And we stopped at this McDonald's, and we had a sweet tea. But the sweet tea tasted like, you know, southern sweet tea. Like, it tasted like like a bowl of sugar. So I poured mine out. She poured it out. But the wind was whipping so hard, too. Like, Man, Texas was a wreck, um, but but it, but but we loved it, man. I, I liked it too. Um, some of the rest stops seemed a little bit sketchy. So, take note. So, in the beginning of this mission, in the beginning of this journey, I have two hundred fifty dollars in my bank account, which is a little bit of letdown because I told her I'd have a thousand, and so there's already a little bit of a you know a situation here because you know I'm not living up to my word, and I feel the guilt of that. I feel the pain of that. I feel a little bit of twinge of anxiety about it. Because I don't want to argue about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to feel down. I don't want to feel emasculated anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just set on working hard and making it happen. But uh, I, don't, I also don't have car insurance. And so I'm not sure if I can really drive her car. Um, and so I'm not. For the first leg of the journey, all we till, till we get to Dallas, I'm not really driving. She's driving all the way. But she gets to a point where the tank is empty. And she's just not going to drive. Um, not the tank of the car, but her tank, her energy. And so going through Texas, I started driving. I, I started driving through Texas just you know that that kind of portrays what the situation was like it was a tedious situation and so from texas we leave texas and go to where do we go we go to new mexico and uh something happened in new mexico i don't remember what it was but i we had spent so much on the way over there uh money was draining very very fast all we had when we left um maryland was her last paycheck and uh i had 250 dollars, and she had three thousand dollars worth of stock that she had saved up from Apple. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. Money was draining quick, quick, like a hole in the bucket. And that's what added to the stress of the situation. But going over there was kind of a happy experience, driving was a happy experience. But I got into uh, Albuquerque, New Albuquerque. Uh, we stopped at a hotel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico, if you never went to New Mexico, it looks like the moon, like uh, like literally the moon, like moon rocks and moon dust and everything like it's just dust and moon and bramble and red rocks everywhere it's kind of crazy um but uh we stopped in new mexico at a hotel and i remember i bought a, a monster from a vending machine and uh at the time i had a pending charge on my card that it didn't charge it my card always charges me late and this is where the pain of the journey really started because that charge sent me into overdraft a little bit uh like my bank account was in overdraft like it, i had no money and it went negative um at pnc and so i got in we got in the car and left uh, new mexico i didn't really have any money left our money was constantly being drained we went to mcdonald's like 500 times um and we went from there to flagstaff arizona we stopped i was driving in flagstaff arizona uh we didn't sleep there but i remember i just wanted to say this part we met a guy there named jared cody um and uh he had been through a really tough situation and uh jared i remember you man buddy it was good having a conversation with you i hope you are right um man it was nice to talk to you and hug it out and experience another human being man i hope everything's going good for you uh yeah he told me to write a song about flagstaff arizona write a song about him you know don't forget this place he passed through 
you know, and uh, I'm gonna keep that promise. I promise I will. I'm gonna write about that place down there, you know, and all that things y'all you went through personally. All right, uh, we met him because we were stopping at a uh, Walmart to get, you know, Alexis a, a icy hot patch because she was cramping from driving all the way, and so from uh, we didn't stop in Arizona that night. We stopped in. Las Vegas. We drove to like 3 a.m. in the morning, but we got to Las Vegas. I tell you what, Las Vegas, I hated Las Vegas. You know, as an introverted person, I mean, tell me if you can relate to this, but can you relate to this? As an introverted person, like everything was like party, like, oh, let's go to the party. And the us versus them mentality, once again, it was like, oh, these stupid people, they're sheep. All they want to do is party and waste their life. They don't have any purpose. You know, they probably believe in a formal education or something stupid like that. Like, you know, uh, I hate. I absolutely hated Las Vegas. I, I I don't really ever want to go back there. But I remember we got in Las Vegas. We were staying at this hotel. I think we stayed there a day, maybe two days or something like that. And uh, I remember when we got there, it was Thanksgiving. And I hadn't spoken to my family for months at this point. It was a long time without speaking to my family. So it was a very tense situation. And I remember Thanksgiving Day, uh, we had gone to the Cracker Barrel. And my grandmother had called me and I just, I couldn't pick up the call because I knew my family were over our house and I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to, you know, I had left without telling my family goodbye. I forgot to mention that I had left without telling my family goodbye. I was ready to just pack it up and leave everything behind, honestly. Um, and so I didn't want to talk. I just couldn't, I couldn't face everything that I had ran from, to be honest. And, uh, and so that was a tough situation in itself. So I didn't hear from my grandmother that Thanksgiving and, um, it hurts, man. It really, well, it hurt then, but I had to suck it up because the next day, boom, we were out of Las Vegas and we were on our way to California. We crossed through the Mojave Desert for the first time. I seen a bunch of mountains, mountains with snow on them. Crossing into California was almost, a sur it was a surreal experience because, you know, for some reason here in the land of sunshine, man, it was, it was snowing that day. You know, I remember it was a blizzard storm coming through, but it was snowing very lightly that day. I have a picture videos of it on my Facebook um, if you want to go see that. Um, or you can just message me on Instagram. I'll send you those if you want to see those as well. But people were stopping cars. Masses of cars were stopping along the side of the road like they hadn't seen snow in years and forever. And they were stopping and looking up in the sky like it was an anomaly that had never happened here before. But we were driving through this Mojave Desert and I hadn't never seen mountains alongside the cars like that like they were literally so tall and i don't know it was a, it was a very extreme experience uh even just driving into we were driving into brea that night and there were a lot of like mountains like everywhere i had never seen like mountains in real life like that and it was a mind-blowing experience like the sensation was just one of like complete awe like i couldn't stop looking like my mouth was hanging open like they had nothing like this in maryland i'd never seen nothing like this bare mountains with snow covering the tops people pulling over to 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 see the snow the snow coating the mountains and flurrying around the car and this white dazzle bedazzlement whatever you want to call it but we passed into california um that day and uh it was an amazing journey across country. It was something that, if you've never been across country, man, you have to live that experience. It's an absolutely beautiful experience. I got lemonade right here. Let me sip for a bit. Because I've been talking for almost an hour now. But uh, we passed into California. We started staying in our first Airbnb. Okay. Uh, and staying in our first Airbnb, we were staying there for like 10 days or something like that. And uh, by this time, you know, the money that we had uh, was probably cut in half. We we had we we were so low on cash. It was, you know, it, it was beginning to get tense. 
when I got to that first Airbnb. Uh, I believe I had negative $150 in my bank account. <laughs> I didn't have any money at all. She had burned through her paycheck and she was spending on our trip the stocks that she had earned over two years of working. And so already it was a tense situation. We had to get groceries. We had to fill the house up. Um, it was intense, man. One thing that I realized sitting down and eating from the groceries that was what with her hard on money and hard, her hard on stock was that these groceries after this meal is going to go very quick. That, that, that thought, that stark thought hit me like a thunderbolt out of nowhere. I remember sitting and just contemplating how my parents must have felt when sometimes they didn't have it all put together and they had five kids and everything that they went through. It's funny because when you move out, when you move across the country, you have no one to support you. You feel the finiteness of every resource in the room. It jumps out at you. You feel the finiteness, especially when you have no way essentially to make money. You feel the finiteness of everything. I felt like the finiteness of the soap, the finiteness of the the, the, the food, the finiteness of the drink and the water. What are we going to eat the next day? How are we going to fill up this tank? This tank's running low. What are we going to do? Because no money's coming in and we're we're fizzling down to eventual crash and burn and the discussions that were surrounding these crash and burns were not very fun at all it was a very very tense very very fear based very very grief stricken situation i had 10 days at that point to make money period i had 10 days to get more clients in and we didn't know how we were going to pay for the next airbnb uh, so I spent that 10 days. At this point in time, I had shifted a little bit to try to make money easier. Instead of just getting ghostwriter clients in the door, um, I started also trying to consult with freelance writers and teach them, get them to pay me to teach them to get client, how to get clients. And so uh, using the same methods as mentioned before, uh, I would go in these freelance writing groups and post like a link, a sales letter with a link, and they would use the link to book uh, a sales call with me. And so I had a lot of people booked up and pretty much from night, you know, she would go out to the school 9 a.m. in the morning. And from that time to pretty much at night, sometimes I would be literally on the phone back to back to back with these international, you know, because these people lived all over the world. A lot of them were Pakistan, Pakistanian, Indian, you know, uh, so many different places, Korean, like uh, all over the world. And I would try to be on this phone selling these people, selling these people, selling these people. I would back to back just be picking up the phone, uh, trying to get a sale and day after day after day after day we were leaving that place december 10th i believe day after day after day after day after day no one bought no one cared no one to buy my products in it because i'm focusing on this i'm not getting anybody into to as a ghostwriting client i'm not getting any sales from that now every now and then like well i think that during that period uh, on the knife i got one 250 sale which came through on the 11th because stripe has to process it so that's all i earned in that period and uh Things begin to get a little sticky because I'm not fulfilling all my promises. And I feel like I'm, like I said, literally drowning in a lake of my own guilt, you know, and worthlessness. Like you, this partner is trying to live out her dreams. She's trying to go to school and she can't because she has to focus on money. She has to feel fear of making the rent or, or, or getting the next place to stay at. The fear of going homeless. She can't, she can't focus on her lines. She can't focus on anything because you're failing as a partner, you know, the, the, the panic, the sheer panic that had existing in the background during those situations were some of the most vivid experiences I can cite to date. It consumed every waking and living moment 
And sometimes I would just sit in the shower and just stare up at the water or sit on the bed and just not even want to move because everything felt futile and it felt like every next step was a failure. But that intuition inside of me, that little bit of hope kept me alive. But you can't sell hope to people who aren't you. And so, you know, I tried to communicate to her, but it was it was just a sticky situation. And uh, long story short, you know, like I said, in that 10 day span, I wasn't able to sell anybody. And. um, Oh, yeah. And I got a little text. Uh, A text came through to my phone because I was I'm still on my parents cell phone plan at this point. And uh, it said you had racked up like an additional hundred dollars in charges from international calls. (laughs) And man, I had to talk to my parents like five months at this point in time. And it was just like. That was the most awkward, weird thing in the world. Like, oh my God, I just put a hundred dollars extra on his phone bill. And I didn't even I don't I don't have any money. When I left that place, my uh bank account was like at negative two hundred dollars or something like that. Um it was a fight. It was a dog fight, absolutely. We went from that Airbnb and we stayed at like uh three other Airbnbs. The first three Airbnbs we stayed at didn't have washer or dryer. We didn't have money to go spend for real estate on a washer and dryer and time to go do that because she would get home from school and be exhausted and I'd be trying to make money and failing at it. And so we went the first two and a half weeks without with like literally because we wore all our clothes on the way over there with like dirty clothes like it was it was ridiculous like it felt like like nomads or something like that <laughs> just uh no disrespect to nomads if that comes off it that way like we feel like just travelers who didn't have a place to stay like and uh so each with each passing week you know her money her her her, her stocks drew thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and a lot of it was housing obviously but a lot of it was making up for the rent half of the rent that i or half of the payment that i didn't have that i said i would have and uh feeding me as well as her and so you can imagine what type of situation that was um we went from airbnb to airbnb to airbnb to airbnb and um i was talking to another guy at this point another guy who was supposed to be my client but you know eventually long story short he fell through um it was a real struggle it was a real struggle um, it was it was it was it was it was a huge struggle, particularly emotionally uh, on her side. It was like, you know, I had misled her, you know, obviously, and that caused a lot of pain. And, you know, the idea that she would have to rely on her mother to help her out when she, you know, she didn't want to stretch, stretch her mother in, in, in that way. And which I'm sure her mother didn't really care, but, you know, it, it was just the sentiment behind it. And it would also have to reveal to her family, I, I guess. I mean, I don't really want to speak on it, but you know, uh, some things about me. <laughs> uh, it was just a tough situation altogether. I don't really want to go into the details of everything in the world without talking and consulting with these people. But man, that was just a scramble. It was a freestyle. It was it was it was an all out war. December twenty second finally came around after just a dog fight. It was no rules, no regiment, no regulation. It was just an all out dog fight. And December 22nd came back around and we made it to the airport and I had negative $350 in my bank account and we flew back home. Uh, We flew back home at home. uh, You know, both neither of us had money when we got back home. Everything that we had saved up, everything that we had was completely bankrupted. And uh, I ended up calling M&T and begging M&T to reduce the fees and overdraft that was on my account 
just so I could catch a break because I had like two more payments of the $250 to come left. But uh, I also talked to the lady that I was working with and we decided to expand the deal to a $2,000 deal, which we eventually like we did that. And so I had a few more payments, but everything was spaced out. It was 14 days between each payment at this point in time. We switched the deal from a month to 14 days. But man, I was broke as a joke. Three negative three hundred fifty dollars. Uh, we got home for the holidays. Um, I hadn't talked to my parents at all at that point. Uh, I didn't have anything in my bank account, obviously, to spend on her or her family that was taking care of me at the time um, for the holidays, for Christmas. And so, no one got anything from me for Christmas. Um, Christmas Eve, I had first for the first time called my father back for the first time in months um, because it was his birthday. I talked to him a little bit. I came home. Um, it, you know, and I saw my mother on December 25th for the first time in what, what is that five, four months? You know, I missed my brother's birthday in the meantime, completely forgot about it because of the scramble that was going on. And uh, when I got in my home, uh, I went to my room just to get some things, some of my personal belongings. And a lot of, you know, my room was completely cleared out. A lot of the things, like, I'm a very sentimental person, and a lot of the things that I held near and dear, like, I had like the Laffy Taffy, half chewed on Laffy Taffy from me and Alexis's first anniversary, uh, things like that. A lot of the things that I held near and dear, I had like a whole desk full of like memorabilia that I collected because we had already at this point, we've been together four and a half years, um, four years and how many months? Four years and three months. No, it's not. It's four years and uh, nine months. I can't calculate. I know our anniversary date. So January is six months, seven months, eight months. We've been together four years and eight months at this point. Um, can't wait till that's 40 years because this is a beautiful thing that I've been blessed with. But I had so much memorabilia on my desk and ever, all these things, you know, the candles that we had in high school, you know, our junior prom candles, um, so many different things. And when I walked in my room, a lot of that stuff was gone. My parents had thrown away a lot of that stuff because they, they thought they, I left to California. They didn't think I was coming back. My room was completely emptied out, you know, except for the really valuable things that really held near and dear to me. But it was a lot of smaller things that I really held near and dear, like pictures she drew and things that were that was just completely missing. And uh, that broke my heart. That that really that really just broke my heart. Like, you know, I held those things for years and it meant the world to me. And I felt like my privacy, like, I don't know, like, but at the same time, it, it was it was so symbolic because it was like. You know, obviously they were in the right to do it because I left my home without saying a word to them and hadn't spoken to them for months and they didn't know what to make of it. They were, they learned through Instagram that I went to California and they just didn't think I was coming back. And so they had every right to do it. But it was so symbolic to me. It, it still cut me down to my core. Like I remember just standing in my doorway, just trying to chart, like absolutely really trying to hold it together, trying not to just break out into tears for the first time in so long because, you know, I hold everything in and it was just... It was like the final straw for me, you know, but it was symbolic at the same time because all those things were the things I, I remember, things from anniversaries, things. I had all our movie tickets in a, in a, in a, in a little Hershey Kiss tin or whatever. And like I said, it's, it's so symbolic because it's like all those were memories. All those were things that I went through. And it was almost to say that all those things that I had went through had to be discarded and had to be purged to become who I wanted to be, who I want, what I wanted for us. All these things had to be burned and sacrificed and purged to make room for what was to grow. And, uh, you know, that's what my gut told me, that's what my, my intuition told me, but it, it still cut me deep to the core. 
And so after Christmas ended, you know, we were supposed to go back on July, uh, J- January 6th. January 6th, we fly back to California. So we talked about it for the next couple of days. We didn't have any money. We didn't know where we would stay. We didn't know any of these situations. And uh, we didn't know what was going to happen if we were to go back. If we were to go back, uh, it would be very, very hard seeing that we had no money unless her mother you know, gave us some money uh, to come back to Maryland. She would have to finish out the last two semesters. We would have to find an Airbnb to stay at, which would cost thousands of dollars. And I had no money. I begged PNC over and over again, but they, they, they took $200 off the top. And so I had a negative $150. Then a $250 payment came through of the overall $2,000 order from the payment plan. And I had $100 in my bank account, which honestly, by the time I believe going into that new year, uh, I had spent so much of that. I had about $6 left. Um, but I had another $250 payment coming through on January 14th. Uh, I thought it was January 6th, but it turned out to be January 14th. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, this was, we were standing at a cliff, man. If we were to go to California, we would have to find out a long-term situation. We would have to find out a way to make it work. If we would have were to go, this was the point of no return. There was really no coming back. We would have to dedicate all our resources you know, we weren't, we, we were, even as a unit, we were facing a little trouble. So we would have to come together, dedicate all our resources and really push to make not only her dreams, but my dreams happen. It was sink or swim at this point in time. You know, for me, the answer was kind of easy. I didn't have a home to go back to. I didn't have people here to fall back on. She had everything on the line. She had her, she could just stay in her house, stay with her family and just live that way. But she wanted to. She wanted more. She wants best picture. She wants to be actress and director of the year in the same year, just like me. We had these things in our heart, just like you do every single day. And so, January sixth comes, and for sure we hop back on that plane on our way to sunny California. I have nothing in my bank account at the time, and all I have is a dream. For me, for her, for the world, and an infinite will to make that happen. You know, at this point on the plane, I felt betrayed. I found this culture of people on the internet, these entrepreneurs, and I believed in them with every fiber of my being. And, you know, I felt like I was trying everything that they told me. This was the beginning of that feeling. I felt like I was trying everything that they were telling me and nothing was working out. But, you know, I, I, I just said, man, one last try. Let's just let's just do it. You know, let's just try. Let's just let's just let's just let's just see what we can do. You know, and so. We flew to L.A. and uh, we landed and the first place we stayed was this place called Hotel Ramada. And it was sitting sitting in Hotel Ramada one day she was at school listening to music where one of the most powerful ideas that I've really ever fathomed in my life, something that was completely life-changing, something that I had never considered this entire time, you know, has struck me like cold Arctic water on a summer day. Like, it was... I want to tell you about this. But I'm, I'm, I'm about an hour into this podcast. And so... 
you're going to hear about it in the next episode. The thing that I realized that kind of changed my entire life path and my all the way down to my core identity and DNA as we know it. And I hope it does the same for you. So, man, as as somebody, you know, just to, you know, put this, you know, episode in layman's terms, you know, as somebody who has ideas for the world and you want to get them outside of your head, man, you're going to go through a lot. You're going to try, you're going to follow your intuition. You're going to follow the, the ideas of people who you believe in and trust. And you're going to go through a lot. But it's only appropriate to go through a lot because this is something, this is a refining period. You'll never listen to a story in history of any business owner, any person who's done thing, things in real life who succeeded the first time, who succeeded without mass trial and mass pain. And it's because this refining period, it makes you into the person that's deserving of the things that they want to earn. It shapes into to a person that's strong enough to handle the situations that you'll handle when you do receive your blessings. And I really believe that. And so if you're somebody that's in this journey, you're in this mission, you're fighting over and over and over and over and you're in the dark, you know, because in, in this part of the story, you know, as you see, I made fifteen hundred dollars in the first 11 months as a writer. But then I made two thousand dollars in one sale. And I'm still struggling. I'm still going through the mud. It's not as sweet as I thought it would be. If you're someone that's going through the dark, man, I want to say, man, it gets better. Keep fighting. Keep fighting because it all pays off into the end, man. Serendipity is a is an insane thing. You know, life is an insane thing. This might be a message crafted just to affect solely you. This was a message that probably was transmitted into the universe just so you could hear it. Just so you could keep pushing on because you might mean something to this generation, to this world, to this era that might have never come about if it wasn't for you hearing this message, if it wasn't for you. So keep fighting, become refined, become the person that can handle their blessings and rule the world. Be sovereign, be powerful. You know, at this point in time, you're probably the superstar of your mission, the the superstar of your movement, the superstar of your organization. You're working very, very, very hard to put it together, to put it all together. Um, You have that identity. You have that culture, that culture of superstars. You have that embedded in your head. You feel the us versus them. You're coming from a very competitive mindset, a a competitive mind frame. And you're trying and you're getting little wins, but you're, you're, you're not succeeding as fast as you want. That wall is still in front of you. You know, I was trying to use my suit. The, the more of this story right here, I was I was trying to use my superpower, but the difference that I am to break past that wall of lacking resources, of lacking personnel, of lacking time, of lacking money, and get to the ultimate goal that I wanted of feeling community, feeling love, and making impact on the world, being a famous rapper, being somebody significant, being somebody appreciated for what I did. And I hit that wall over and over and over again and suffered for two years straight. And so as somebody who is, you know, going through some of the same things, man, I really want you to strap in and listen to this next episode because it changed everything and it will change everything for you as well. I believe that and I'll live by that. But, you know, to kind of bring this one to a close, because this is an hour and 15 minutes long. This is Dallas Prater, man. I appreciate you so much for watching and listening and all, whatever. Man, if you feel something from this episode, please message me. Tell me about it. Talk to me about it. I love to hear from all y'all. So hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on whatever social media you want. Talk to me about how you feel about this episode. 
please, if you got the time, man, rate this uh, podcast in iTunes. Share it with your friends. Share it with somebody in the world so we can make this message bigger, so we can change lives and help the people that want to change lives to do so. Um, I guess that's all I really have to say, man. I hope you I hope all is well. I hope you're enjoying your day. And, um, man, it's been a good one. Watch out for episode three. I should probably come with it either tomorrow or the day after, or you'll listen to this later. It's already in place, man. Uh, once again, this is Dallas Prater, and this is the Grand Design Podcast, all about the Grand Design, man. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out, and I'll see you later.